Amen. The epistle of the apostle James chapter 3. And may we stand for the reading of God's word. Starting at verse 1. Amen. The epistle of the Apostle James, chapter 3. Starting at verse 1, you will find these words. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. And this morning we are going to deal with a portion of this passage. It's a lot of content and we're going to work on it on a series of lessons on the subject of unity's number one enemy. Unity's number one enemy. Lord, prepare me to be 
issues of everyday life, particularly issues that threaten the unity of the body of Christ. When James opens up, James lets us know that he is writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. By implication, those of the 12 tribes who have made Jesus their choice. As the Messiah who came in the flesh. But in the midst of that, James looked at the children of God and looked at them in their human condition. And the human condition is a condition that is frail. Paul says, that which I would do, that's not what I end up doing. But that which I did not want to do, 
That's what I end up doing. He asked the rhetorical question, who will deliver me from this body of sin? So James, the practical apostle, sees the human condition. And James understands what the assembly of the saints of together is all about. Sometimes we forget that us assembling together as a body is assembling as if we are in a hospital. There are lame and blind and deaf and dumb members in the hospital. There are folks suffering from disease. It's easy for us to identify with hospitals such as St. Luke's and Shawnee Mission. And we understand that the people who are in there are hurting. And that their bodies are not responding as they should. One can walk and the other can see. One's heart is troubled, one pancreas, one's liver, one's stomach, all kinds of ailments. But when we enter into that hospital, we realize that anything and everything can occur. People can talk out of their minds and say things to you that they normally wouldn't say. And so when those things come, we look past it. We, we look beyond their fault and we see their need. Because we look beyond the thought of what they might have said to us, seeing their need to be what? Healed. They need to be healed because something is wrong in their eternals that's causing them to respond in an irrational way. It's easy for us to identify in the hospital from that perspective. But we forget that this is a hospital too. Shawnee Mission and St. Luke's and Truman are hospitals for the physical body. But the assembly of the church together is the hospital of the spiritual. Every one of us in here are sick, including yours truly. We are sick. Some of us are in ICU. And some of us are still being treated in our waiting room. But in all due practicality, we don't look at one another that way. We act like because we are Christians, because we have chosen to follow Christ, that we're perfect, that we're not supposed to say things wrong or do things that we have no business doing. But our responsive reading allows us to see that there is a war going on inside of our diseased bodies. There's against the spirit, against the flesh. So that which we would do, that's not what we end up doing. Sometimes our idle words about somebody else hurt somebody else. Sometimes we carry in the wind of gossip things that we ought not. And sometimes 
people get killed. They get killed spiritually and they find themselves wandering back out in the streets because they say, I don't want to have nothing to do with them church folks. Backbiters and hypocrites and, and I'm going back outside. And they find themselves back out killed because of an idle word. But that is a misunderstanding of what the church is all about. Sometimes we put up the front that we are somehow perfect or in some way closer to being perfect than everybody else. But that's not the ideal of the church. That's not why we come together. We don't come together to show the world perfection. We come together to show the world that we acknowledge we're imperfect and we're coming to the hospital where which we can be healed. And so we go out into the world telling others, I see your infirmity. I see the problem that you've got. I see that disease because I got it too. But I know a place to go where there is a great doctor who's able to heal any disease. And as he's healing me, he can heal you. You don't have to be perfect. Come as you are because the doctor is in the house. That's how the church is supposed to operate. We don't operate in perfection, but we are called to operate in love. Because see, when we go to one another and identify with one another as broken vessels, we never said we were perfect, but we said we love one another. We said, baby, I know what you're going through and I'm praying for you because I'm going through it too. I may not go through it the same way you are, but I'm praying for you as well because I know the one who is healing me can heal you too. And it's just not for us inside, but those outside as well. It's a healing process and we won't be completely healed Till Jesus comes. And so in light of that, let us wrap our minds around where we are. Because until we realize that we're in a hospital, we're not able to function properly with one another inside nor out. We are works in progress. God is not through with me yet. So this practical apostle, James, deals with the issues that are most severe in the life of the believer. He's speaking to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And here in chapter 3, he starts out speaking about teaching. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now those words send chills through my body. Because being one of God's teachers allows me to know that much is given, much is required. That God is holding me at a higher standard because of the gift that he's given me. Now look at that for a second. God gave me a gift 
I couldn't get for myself. That I would exercise that gift among his people. But in light of that gift, I am in position of stricter judgment. That's a humbling idea. Because what that allows me to know that I've got to stay prostrate at the feet of Jesus. Because I can't do nothing without him. So if I'm going to be all that God wants me to be, if I'm going to say what he wants me to say, if I'm going to exercise the gift the way he wants me to give it, I've got to trust and lean and depend on him. Because there's no other way. But it just doesn't stop with the preacher teacher. It extends to the Sunday school teachers, to the Bible study teachers, to the children's ministries. It extends to have a stricter judgment. Let us not take this lightly because it is with the tongue that we speak these words. And we can teach people to the left We can teach people to the right. Or we can teach people down the straight and narrow way. But we have to be careful. And that's where he says, let not many become teachers. Because sometimes light comes with the teaching ministry. Standing up before people and having people's attention while You expound on the word of God. But don't get caught up in that because there is a stricter judgment. So for everyone with the gift of teaching, remember that that it's a humbling experience that we have to lean and depend on the Lord to get it right. Because if we start thinking off the top of our heads, all we're going to do is lead people, what? Astray. But then there's a judgment coming. And it's more stricter for those who teach. This teaching, by application, could extend further to more mature Christians in the church who are trying to direct those who are younger in the faith. Telling folks to do this or to do that, or go here or go there. Be very careful on how you lead someone else when you desire to be a leader. That's why it's so good to first learn how to be a follower before stepping into the role of leader. Because you really can't be a good leader until you learn how to be a good follower. And so we find ourselves saying things to folks we ought not say, not realizing what position of influence we're in. Because we don't like the way a person handles themselves in the church. They're not quite like me. At the first opportunity, we say something to them that damages them in a very unfruitful way. But to thus that much is given, much is required. Those who are more mature in the Lord and has got influence, be careful. Because that tongue can get you in so much trouble. For you may receive the stricter judgment. 
Amen. And so as we look at our text, verse 2 says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. James deals with the very idea of the human condition, as we've talked about earlier, that we stumble in many things, don't we? In our idle conversations, we may make a judgment on somebody. We really don't have all the facts. But we, 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 we look and we say, yeah, you're right. Such and such ain't right. But we don't have the full story. And so sometimes because it's our friend that tells us this, we tend to side with them as just because the very fact that they're our friend has some type of virtue that allows them to be right and you side against another brother. Because it is clear that everyone in the body of Christ isn't as close to one another as some are. But we have to be very careful to be objective and not subjective in the statements that we make. That's why it's good to be meek. Because we stumble in so many things. Because when we would do right, we end up doing what? Wrong. So let us be careful before we make a charge against somebody else that we know the facts. And as a matter of fact, we need to ask the question that once we make this charge, how would it help our brother and sister? Do we need to just make the charge or go and try to do something to help them be better? Because we stumble in so many things. That's why when we point one finger at somebody else, we got four pointing back at us. Because we're just as guilty as anybody else at the cross. But when we ever get our minds around this idea, we will treat one another so much better. Because we will be able to deal with our frailties. Folk are going to make bad decisions. Because we're frail. We stumble in so many things. But can we give one another a little grace? A little mercy sometimes? And go alongside them in love? So that in essentials we could have unity? Because we have studied and we realize without that unity that the church cannot be the church. It cannot function with vitality and strength if we are divided. But we've got to look at one another, no matter what station in life we are, as the same. Because we are where we are, whatever station we are, by the grace of God. Amen? So looking at our text, it says that if anyone does not stumble in words, He is a perfect man. Now this word perfect can be translated complete and without error. Or it can be translated mature. 
And I believe in the context of this passage that James is talking about maturity. He's talking about maturity from the perspective that those who have learned how to stumble less because we're never going to not stumble at all. But we become mature in realizing that we've got to be real careful in what we say and how much we say it because we stumble. Maturity says if one is overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore one in the spirit of what? Meekness. Lest you also be what? Tempted. Spiritually, they're mature. See, maturity, spiritual maturity allows us to see that we're no better than nobody else. That's what maturity does. Maturity brings on humility and then brings on meekness so that we don't use our tongues to not only allow the person see the person down, but then to step on them. But maturity allows us to go and say, baby, everything's going to be all right. Here, let me help you up. Let me get you back started on your way. And I'm here with you to help you. And I'm hoping that you'll be there with me too. Because yes, I'll be also tempted. Spiritual maturity. But we're in a hospital. We're not in heaven. We're in a hospital. And we're sick. Don't ever forget that. And maturity means I see that you're no less than I am. I'm no better than you because I'm broken too. So we look at this text and we see that this perfect man, this mature man, is able to bridle the whole body. See, when on the outset of our, our lesson today, we talked about how the tongue can do so much damage. We can do damage with our mouths and with the members of our body. We can strike out against one another. We can steal from one another. We can do a lot of things to hurt one another. We can write against one another. We can do these things, but the mature individual can bridle all that. When there is a disagreement, they don't go around and tell everybody else how they were wrong and try to build up a team against one person. Maturity says, hold on a minute. Let me go to them privately. And let me talk to them in love and talk to them, showing them that I care about them and I support them. Not that I'm trying to gang up against them. See, the world's got gangs. See, that's how the world operates. They get all their boys together and find you alone and then beat you half to death if they don't kill you. But that's not how we operate because we are a peculiar people. We are a holy priesthood. We are a royal People, we are we're not to operate like the world. We are to operate 180 degrees opposite of them. We ought to gang up on one another. We ought to try to come up with a team of people who all disagree against one person. We ought to be going to one another and restoring them in the spirit of what meekness. So this morning, I'm gonna get ready to come to a close on this first part of our lesson. Because there's so much detail here, but we need to be able to chew on it bit by bit. See, sometimes we go through passages of Scripture so quickly. And then we've got so much to deal with, and yet we deal with nothing at all. But we're trying to get somewhere. We're on the king's highway. 
We're trying to be more like Jesus Christ. We're trying to become more like the Son of God. So we got to take it and chew on it a little while. If we can take these verses that were just talked about today and the concepts behind them and spend the week working on them, I believe that we can change the atmosphere in our environments. We can be the change agents that God requires of us so that we will be different and the world will see it. Because the world needs to see us being different. Not perfect, but different. What is the distinguishing piece? Love. But remember the title of this is the number one enemy of unity. We find love in unity. But the tongue provides division if it's unbridled. So let us spend this week learning how to bridle our tongue. How to depend on God to keep us from saying things that we ought not say. In the moment of passion, controlling our mouths. Instead of lashing out and saying something that we can't get back. That causes lifelong division between one another. Just a little bit leavens the whole lump. The rudder, as this text says, can move the whole ship. Just an idle word can cause a broken relationship for the rest of our lives. So today, I'm saying to every Christian in here that we've got somebody on the inside that's working toward the outside. And that if we allow him, we can bridle our tongues. We can be the meek that shall inherit the earth. And so in this room, if there is somebody who does not know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right now is a good time to get to know him. It's a time to come out of the lifestyles that you've been living. You know that the lifestyles are not pleasing unto the Lord. But the Lord is saying, come unto me, all ye that labor. You're laboring in this life, and he wants to give you rest. If you take upon him his yoke, he will guide you and direct you. But you got to give your life to him today. Don't wait another minute, nor a second, nor an hour. Because it's not guaranteed that you will live that long. But you must remember that now is the time for salvation. And you can come today. You can come if you, by baptism, you can come by letter, you can come by Christian experience. But come. Because God is wanting to do a work in you. He wants to create in you a clean heart. That you might not sin against him but you got to come you got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has been raised from the dead and then you shall be saved God raised his son Jesus from the dead for you that he would be the first of a new life a new life that is to come without sin 
But you got to make the first step and join in. You got to give your life to the Lord. You got you to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart that I might serve thee. The doors of the church are open. You can come today. You can come today. Praise. None came, but there's still plenty of good room. Amen.